Good morning, everyone, and a warm welcome to those that are watching online today. Good to have you with us. Well, I want to give you kind of a, a little quiz this morning. I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios and get your reaction to them. So let's say, first of all, that I'm over here uh, talking to the back usher before the service, and I'm not really paying attention. I turn around to rush into the sanctuary and I plow into somebody and uh, it's, it's not real pretty. Um, so quickly, right, I go to them, I apologize, I make sure they're all right. Is that the right thing to do? Is that the best thing to do? Okay, scenario number two. Uh, I get mad, which n n never, ever, ever happens, um, and, and I light into somebody, uh, demeaning their character. Okay. Um, later, I think about it. The Lord talks to me about it. I go back to them and I apologize. Is that the right thing to do? Is that the best thing to do? Okay. Number three, walking down the road, I find a wallet with $150 in cash in it, along with some credit cards and a license. And I look at that $150 cash and I look and there's nobody around. But I look at that license and I say, hey, you know, I need to do this. So I contact the owner and return all the contents of the wallet to the owner. Is that the right thing to do? Is that the best thing to do? Okay. Is there a time, here's the question this morning, is there a time when the right thing is not the best thing? Hmm. Matthew chapter 6 beginning at verse 2, Jesus says this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Is giving to the needy a good thing? Sure it is. But according to Jesus, is doing the right thing for the wrong motive, the best thing? No, it's not. And you know what else I've found? Just because something is the right thing to do, it doesn't necessarily motivate me to do it. How about you? How many of us, let's be honest, knew in a particular situation this is the right thing to do, and yet we justify doing something different, right? Yeah. So let me, let, me, uh, let me say this. Being the right thing is not really the best motivator for life either, is it? My title of the message this morning, When the Right Thing is Not the Best Thing. When the Right Thing is Not the Best Thing. Now last week, we talked about God's calling on us to be holy, to be different. Not just to be better human beings, but to be different in order to be a light to those in darkness. That the lost, that those who are destined for a godless eternity might be saved. To do all that we can in our lives to help others find eternal life in Jesus. Would you agree that that is the right thing to do? Of course. But again, being the right thing to do, how well really does that motivate 
our everyday decisions. All the time? 100%? Or maybe part of the time? Like how we respond when other people disappoint us or frustrate us or hurt us. Or like when it's when what's right kind of gets in the way of what I want to do when I want to do it. Right? I submit to you then that doing the right thing is the wrong motive for living the Christian life. We've probably all gathered that uh, from this high up in the church. It's the right thing to do. We ought to do the right thing. That's what being a Christian is all about, right? But let me say that again. Doing the right thing is the wrong motive for living a Christ-like life. Take one very important part of that life according to Jesus. When he commissioned his followers, he said, go into all the world and share the gospel. Right? Share the gospel. How else will people uh, uh, believe unless they hear, Romans says. Right? How can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless someone tells them the gospel? Would you agree that as a Christian, sharing our faith is the right thing to do? Right? Lots of head nods. Then why is it, according to research, uh, in this case by Thomas Rayner, in a year's time, just one person comes to Christ for every 85 church members? Hmm. Number one answer, as, as I've rubbed shoulders with people through the years, fear. Fear. We're uncomfortable. We don't want to face rejection. Am I right? Again, lots of head nods. Let me take that answer and put it into perspective. How, how many of you think that getting bit by a dog is comfortable? Let me, let me see your hands. You think that? Oh, we got, got one half a wave. Okay. Um, so let's say you're, you're, you're in your house and you hear a noise outside, you open your front door, and here is a dog attacking a three-year-old in your front yard. Okay? And the sirens are going, right? So here's this dog. He's attacking this three-year-old in your front yard. What do you do? What do you do? You'd help the child, right? Whatever you could do, you need to help that child. Is there fear? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is it uncomfortable? (laughs) I would say so. Might you face rejection by that dog and face the consequences of that? Probably. But do any of those things hold you back? No. Why? Why? Because in that moment, you care more about that child than you do about yourself. Right? Speaking of his team's work in evangelism, the Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning of verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, 
persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. He's talking here about the things that he and his companions suffered in their quest to win the lost, right? Things that you and I will probably never face. In chapter 11, he speaks of labors, imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times, he says, I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And that's not CBD, by the way. Just, just saying. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at the sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. All for what? All of that for what? To win lost people to Christ. Why? Why were Paul and his why were Paul and his companions willing to suffer all of those things in order to win other people to Christ? Are they crazy? Are they just crazy? Paul answers that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at it. Verse 13, he says, "For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you." For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now I've read this passage a bunch of times through the years. And if you're like me, this is what you heard. Because Jesus died for you, you have no right to live for yourself. You have an obligation to live for him. He died for you. You have an obligation to live for him. Right? That's the way I hear it. In other words, it's the right thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. Didn't he give his life on the cross? It's the right thing to do to, to lay our lives down, Romans 12, as a living sacrifice to him. But watch this. That's not the key. That's not the key. Look at it again, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. The NIV translates it compels us. The word in the Greek means to control, restrain, or it, it can mean to rise above or surpass. Just like your compassion for that child in the front yard getting attacked would, would surpass your fears. That compassion, that love for that child, that, that concern for that child would, would overcome. It would uh, overcome your fears, overcome your uncomfortableness. It would um, control your actions, wouldn't it? 
So Paul says here, it's the love of Christ, that same love that put Jesus on the cross that motivated them to face labors and dangers and beatings not once, but over and over and over again. In other words, Christ's love in us says that that person's soul, that that person's eternal destiny is more important than my personal comfort. That's the love of Christ. Before coming to Christ, Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, was well on his way to becoming numero uno Pharisee in Israel. He was excelling over everybody with all of the perks and all of the recognition and notoriety and everything that went with that position. And he says that he laid it all down. He put it all aside to win the lost for Christ. Now, not everybody is called to be a missionary and plant churches. But what are we called to? We are called to shine our light, no matter what situation we're in, what kind of job, what kind of wherever we are, social settings, whatever, we are called to shine the light of Christ in and every circumstance, aren't we? That's our call. To live our lives in light of eternity with the overarching purpose that in all that we do and all that we say and how we live, it's to impact others for the kingdom. It's to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. The lost who are perishing. The lost that are destined for an eternity without God. We found it. The overarching purpose of our lives to impact this world for Jesus Christ. To live a life that reflects a close relationship with Him. Always being aware of how our words and how our actions affect those around us. Are we helping them to come to the Lord? Are we pushing them away? To learn how to share our faith with others so that it becomes more comfortable for us to do so. Right? but stepping out of our comfort zones if we need to. Now, let me tell you this this morning. I I, I like to do it this way. I'm on the same level as everybody else. You, You may not realize this, but actually, I'm kind of an introvert. Kind of hard to believe because I stand up in front of people, but behind closed doors, I'm really kind of an introvert. And, and, I like to have other people like me too. Right? I don't like to get out of my comfort zone. I don't I I have the same fear of rejection that everybody else has. Right? I'm in the same boat with all of you. And the way to overcome those fears is not to try harder to do the right thing. We've already proven that's not a great motivator. That's not the best, right? The only way we're going to overcome those fears and get serious about souls is if the love of Christ 
controls us. If the love of Christ causes us to be more concerned about the people around us than about our own comfort. So how, here's the $64,000 question, so how do we get that love in us? Well, the good news is, the Bible says that if you're born again, if you've received Christ as Savior, it's already there. It's already there. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Here it is, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love, the love of God, is already in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So here's the $68,000 question. Why isn't God's love always motivating us to love the way we should? Why isn't that happening? I believe there's three reasons. There may be more, but here's three. Number one, we're on our own way. We're standing in our own way. Whereas at one point, we, we may have come to Christ. We may have given our lives to Him. We may have said, Jesus, take the wheel. Right? But in one area of life or another, we've taken that wheel back and we've made Jesus our co-pilot. Looks great on a bumper sticker, but it's not biblical. <laughs> Is it really to make him the co-pilot? Who's in charge? Me. Right? That's not the way it works. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's discipleship. That's the Christian life. Right? We follow him, not he follows us. We follow him. For some of us, in different areas of our lives, we need to give Him back the wheel. We need to say, okay, Lord. Lord? Oh yeah, Lord. That means you're in charge. That means you're the master. Right? So that we can begin to live truly the abundant life that He promised to give us. Second reason that love doesn't flow through us, I believe, because we've been hurt. Hurt by other people. And naturally, right, when we're hurt, we're, we, we build uh, protections around ourselves, around our hearts, because we don't want to get hurt again. Keeping people to some extent at arm's length until they prove themselves over time and then maybe we begin to open our hearts a little bit and let a little love come out. Always ready at first sign of danger to close that door again and protect our hearts. So what are we doing? We've got such a control over our love, right, that we also don't let the love of Christ come out either. We're holding it all in to protect ourselves. In that case, we need to work through those hurts with a trusted Christian friend, 
maybe even a counselor, to work through those hurts and through the Scriptures and through the work of the Holy Spirit, find healing, find the ability to forgive if we haven't those that have hurt us so that we can move forward, so that we can open our hearts knowing, knowing that the love of Christ for us and in us will sustain us no matter what happens. That's his promise. Now here's what I really want you to take into your heart this morning. Look at this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. He says this, to them, now he's talking about those who've received Christ, right? To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Don't miss that. Christ living His life in you and in me is the expression of the glory of God through us as human beings. The more Christ is expressed in and through our lives, the more glory God is revealed to the world around us. Yes, it will mean giving over the wheel. Yes, it will mean stepping out of our comfort zone. Yes, it will mean putting others before ourselves. But the more and more that we yield to Him and His love flowing through us, the more glory we will experience and the world around us as well. And the more you and I will understand truly this Christian life that God has called us to. They who love, John says, live in God and God in them. Somebody said it this way, the Holy Spirit is in you, He wants out. <laughs> God wants to love through us. That means I need to touch this person's life, these people around me in these settings, not the way Ron wants to do it, but the way Jesus wants to do it. Because I can be, you know, we talk about planting seeds, right? Can I say, let, let, let's put it this way. Um, Tom would get, I mean, we, we'd all get this, but maybe Tom especially. Um, we, we wait for, plant, for flowers and vegetables to grow. You don't have to wait very long for weeds, do you? The seeds that we plant, if they're good seeds, they may take a while to grow. If they're bad seeds. I mean, how many people have said over the years, I'm not going to church, too many hypocrites there. How long did it take? What, what little hypocrite seed was planted and when? And how fast did that thing grow up big and wide? Right? Walking the walk, biting our tongue, 
realizing I'm impacting people for Christ. This is my daily life. Might be a smile, might be a kind word, might be an opportunity to share with someone once we've built, you know, a reputation with them. But I'll tell you what, one off comment can start a weed garden at the blink of an eye. Right? Again, we handing out life preservers, we handing out rocks to people who are drowning. He wants to love through us. He's not he 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 was here and he started a church and he said I'm going to live in them and through them and I'm going to touch the world through them. This is the incredible calling that we have as the body of Christ. Now you kind of get that term. We are the body of Christ. We are his hands, his feet, his mouth, right, to others. That's why we want to be holy, set apart, different to reveal him to the world around us. And Jesus said in this way, in this way, my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. When you and I are protecting ourselves and putting ourselves for, we don't have that joy. When we give that away, watch the joy flood in. My joy will be in you and your joy will be full. Full. Think about that. I said three reasons why God's love isn't flowing in our lives, didn't I? The third reason is this. Maybe we haven't let him in in the first place. Maybe like in the children's message this morning, we heard that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross for our sins, removing the separation between us so that we can be in a personal relationship with God. But we've never really taken Him up on it. We've never really opened our heart and said, Jesus, I want You to be my Savior and my Lord. And if that's you here today or watching online, I urge you, open that door. You want the fullness of joy? You want supernatural peace? Do you want a purpose that is eternal that's what he offers. Do you want to experience the glory of God? That's what he has for you and me. If you open that door and let him in. Let's, let's bow in prayer. Father, first of all, for those that have not opened that door initially, God, I pray that the truth of the gospel would seat in their hearts right now. That they would understand in this moment that you died not just for the world, but you died for them, taking their sins so that they can be totally cleansed. Totally cleansed, forgiven, and welcomed as a child of you. And if that's you this morning, just tell him in your own words, Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. And I do right now. I open my heart to you and ask you to come in and be my Savior, be my Lord. Take the wheel 
because I want to know what this abundant life is all about. Thank you for accepting me, and I receive you now. I thank you for that. And for those of us who maybe in one area or another have taken back that wheel, I got plans. I got goals. I got dreams. How does that sound in the wake of what Jesus wants to do in and through us for eternity? Time to give that wheel back over and say, Lord, from this point on, I'm living for you. I'm listening for your voice. You are the pilot. I'm going to follow you. And for those of us that have been hurt, I know those hurts. We've all experienced hurts at the hands of other people. And I sure, I could point to Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But I want to talk about Jesus, the healer today, who can heal those wounds and make you whole. Whole enough to turn around and love others, knowing that He is with you and that love will sustain you. Get on that path to healing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your work in us, God. Here I am, Lord. It is I, Lord. I want to follow you. I want to make a difference in the world, especially in these days when it just seems the world's just gone off the deep end. Help us, Lord. Help us. We thank you. We thank you, Lord.